Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. And as always, we have a great show for you tonight. Uh, first and foremost, uh, coming up, we're going to be starting uh, with a kind of a special coach's corner uh, with my very special guest panelist tonight, Bill Abrams. Uh, of course, you all know by now he's been on the show a number of times, uh, not only as a guest, but also as a uh, uh, panelist on the coach's corner. And uh, he and I are going to talk a little bit on, about how to network on the golf course for, for those of you in business out there and also maybe help some of our, our uh, fellow professionals out there as well. A little bit later on the broadcast, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest tonight. Very, very excited to have this gentleman on, uh, A.J. Bonner. You might uh, recognize him from a number of years back. He did a lot of uh, infomercials and that on the Golf Channel and on other uh, publications and that. Uh, he's head teaching professional at, uh, of course, uh, A.J. Golf School out in California. And we're going to talk to him about all kinds of things a little bit later on. But let me just remind everybody, of course, uh, on Thursday evenings, we are live uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central here on uh, the blogtalkradio.com network. And obviously the quickest way to find this is go to blogtalkradio.com and up in the search key type uh, Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to the main page. And, of course, we'll be front and center. Um, For some reason, if you're not able to join us live, uh, just visit that page, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live, and just scroll down to the on-demand section and there you'll hear uh, not only tonight's show, but uh, many of the other shows that we've already recorded uh, in their entirety there in the on-demand section. So make sure you tune in there. Um, maybe you like to listen under a different uh, uh, media platform, such as iTunes.com or at Stitcher.com. Uh, again, just go there to those uh, respective uh, platforms and just type in Golf Talk Live, and uh, you'll find us there on iTunes.com or Stitcher.com. I always love to hear from you. You're welcome to call in and speak with uh, either myself or the guests at any time uh, during the Thursday night uh, broadcast. Uh, the number to call is area code 646-716-4667. Uh, or you can certainly email any questions or comments uh, to me personally at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And if you're somebody in the golf industry and uh, maybe you'd like to come on, you've never been on the show, uh, and you'd like to maybe share uh, some thoughts or ideas that you think might be beneficial to the audience. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be a teacher professional uh, or even a golf professional. You might be somebody uh, that's maybe more of an entrepreneur or maybe you've written a great book that uh, uh, talks about golf and maybe some of the theories uh, uh, or some of the uh, different issues and concerns uh, in, in uh, the golfing industry today that maybe you want to come on and talk about. Uh, again, reach out to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com and I'll be more than happy to uh, uh, talk about it with you and, and uh, work you out in the schedule here. Uh, only got a couple of months left for this year and then we're going to be closing out. I'm probably going to be ending uh, about, I don't have the exact date in front of me, but probably somewhere around the middle of December uh, just to let the folks know uh, so I can take a little bit of a break for the holidays um, through December and uh, I, I don't have the official start date in the new year in, in 2018, uh, but it'll be sometime probably closer to the middle of January in around that uh, time frame. 
uh, just to give me a little extended break and to get ready for the new season. But uh, lots of great guests uh, going to be coming up in the new year. Uh, very interesting shows. Uh, I think you'll all enjoy it. So uh, make sure you keep sticking around and tuning in each week to Golf Talk Live. Uh, also update every week uh, on social media on Facebook.com uh, forward slash Golf Talk Live blog. Make sure you have blog on the end there. Uh, update on there also on my personal page, uh, LinkedIn.com under my personal page there as well. And you can also follow me on Twitter. I keep updates there as well, regularly each and every week. Uh, Ted and Buck, CEO, and CEO, of course, is in capital letters. All right, so let me, as I mentioned, we're going to start with Coach's Corner. It's a very special Coach's Corner tonight. Just uh, Bill and I are going to be uh, uh, handling the, uh, the panel discussion here. And uh, let me just tell you a little bit about him, and then I'll bring him on. Uh, he's very patiently waiting for me here in the wings. So uh, Bill Abrams, as I said, has been on the show many times. Uh, he's a PGA professional and owner and director of instruction at the Golf Solutions Academy. Uh, up at uh, Balmoral Woods uh, in Crete, uh, Illinois. And uh, a new uh, venue, if you will. He's also going to be at, in this winter at the Golf Channel Academy at TPC Eagle Trace, which is in Coral Springs, Florida. So I'm sure he's very excited about that. We'll ask him about that uh, when he comes on. And he was also uh, uh, named 2017 Central Illinois Chapters Teacher of the Year. So lots of great things happening in the world of Bill Abrams. So we'll talk to him a little bit about that as we go along through the evening. But in that... Uh, in that moment, uh, let me just, uh, Bill, welcome back to uh, Coach's Corner. Ted, it's a pleasure. Uh, thanks for having me again. I really enjoy uh, the time we have to chat and looking forward to tonight's conversation. Yeah, I think it'll be a, a good one, and, and uh, thank you for, for joining me. And uh, we'll, we'll have a great time, as always. Um, very quickly, before we start, let me just, because I, I sort of led into that a little bit, uh, tell us very quickly, um, you're going to be at uh, TPC Eagle Trace uh, in, in this coming winter. When are you going to officially be there, or are you already on your way there now? Uh, and also talk a little bit about uh, being uh, named the 2017 Central Illinois Chapter uh, Teacher of the Year. Uh, yeah, I'm heading out uh, from Illinois uh, later this week, and I will be in position, ready to go October 17th at TPC Eagle Trace with the Golf Channel Academy there. I had an opportunity to open up. Uh, a good friend of mine, David Impostato, um, owns the academy there, and uh, we chatted, and uh, it was just a wonderful thing for me to be able to uh, head over to a pretty prestigious facility and uh, start up with, a, uh, you know, with the Golf Channel Academy. It's just a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Yeah, always uh, always nice when some good doors like that open up for you, and congratulations on that. And then tell us a little bit about, uh, uh, and you're now the 2017 Central Illinois Chapter Teacher of the Year. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, in Illinois, we have, of course, the Illinois section. Uh, runs from Effingham, Illinois, east and west to the borders, and then uh, up to the northern border of uh, with Wisconsin. And uh, the chapter runs from... Uh, from Interstate 80 South to uh, to Effingham, which is roughly a little more than an hour from St. Louis. Um, so uh, our central, my mm. brethren in the Central Illinois section, for the second time, uh, selected me as Teacher of the Year, and I'm very honored as always, and very humbled. Uh, anytime I've been very fortunate to get a lot of chapter awards and three awards in our section, including Professional of the Year in 2015, and it just uh, it just you know it's almost unfair that you get an award for doing something you're having fun doing. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I agree with you wholeheartedly. But you know what? Well-deserved, and, and congratulations on that as well. Uh, Well-deserved. Um, Thanks so uh, much. All right, Bill, we're going to talk about, uh, since it is, yeah, no, not a problem. 
Uh, my pleasure. Um, we're going to talk about, as I was just mentioning to you just briefly off air, I, I know we, we had to cut it close because uh, we went live, but um, we're going to talk about, since it was you and I, uh, we had another panelist that was uh, going to be coming on with us tonight, but unfortunately uh, some things have come up and, and she wasn't able to join us. Of course, I'm talking about Catherine Roberts. Um, so you and I are going to talk about this. And this was actually, Bill, a, a discussion that I actually had on Tuesday uh, on my other program, Women of Golf, with uh, LPGA professional Cindy Miller. And we started this dialogue a little bit uh, earlier, and I think it's a, a good one because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to fall into this category. And it's really about how to network on the golf course, uh, and really from two perspectives, uh, from the golf professional as well as uh, maybe some business types out that are not necessarily organizing uh, their corporate event, but maybe uh, want to invite some clients out into the golf course. As we all know, um, golf is a great networking tool. In fact, in my opinion, one of the best networking uh, working tools available uh, for business types out there, as well as uh, golf professionals such as ourselves. And we're going to talk about uh, a little bit about that here. So let me just start it off here, uh, and then I'll get you to jump in with some of your thoughts. Um, point number one I want to talk about uh, w with respect to golf events. The first thing I think that, that you want to be able to do, uh, and again, in both cases as a professional, but also as uh, somebody that maybe wants to um, have an event at a, at a, uh, a venue, is you want to be able to match the goals with the formats. And I'll explain a little bit what I mean. That First step, of course, is you want to make sure the golf event is going to result in some successful networking opportunities. And, and uh, so you want to pick the right format, uh, both for your corporate desires and also for your attendees. So um, first question, of course, Bill, is you want to ask is what your uh, ob objective is. And such goals might include using golf to, of course, impress some clients, maybe win new business. Uh, and or even encourage teamwork among your colleagues and potential business partners. So um, when you're involved in, in something like that or if you become involved in an event, um, maybe with one of your corporate clients or a business reaches out to you and says, hey, Bill, we'd like to have you involved in this, um, what are some questions that maybe you might be asking them uh, about what they want to have at the event and that sort of thing and, and helping them sort of arrange and organize that. Um, what are some questions or, or discussions that you might have with uh, maybe some of your business clients? Well, uh, pretty simply, Ted, I, uh, the first thing I ask is what's the end game? What do you want to get out of this? I basically take them to point B and then we can look backwards to point A how to get there. And I think that's something that's that we miss a little bit from time to time in the golf business is that we're always worried about the front end and not worried about what our, our end, the end game is or our end result. And I think once we have that goal to shoot at, then we can very easily design and figure out contests, games, pairings, um, the format of play, um, you know, the, the type of food we're going to have, the type of prizes, if we include instruction. Because that's one of the things that I've, mm -hmm. I've offered up over the years. And then we've had some very successful events where I've done an hour clinic or even worked with a couple players in a smaller group where a, uh, a player will bring out two customers and will work in the morning, uh, have lunch, and then go, uh, go play 18 afterwards. And that, you know, something that's in a, in a more intimate setting like that, and I think that's the first thing we have to ask mm. is what's the end game? Do you want to build your business? Do you want to build some relationships? Do you want to close deals? Um, as you said, we have to figure out what that end game is, what they want out of the uh, event, and then go ahead and formulate things around that. Yeah, well said. And, and you know, one of the things is, let me just give the folks an example out there, is you want to make sure a couple of things, as Bill just pointed out. You want to make sure, first off, the event uh, you want to make it relaxing uh, for the folks that are there, regardless of whether it's a large event or, or a more intimate setting, as, as you suggested, Bill. 
and you want to create an environment um, that is sort of putting everybody on an equal footing. Um, and I'll give you an example. For instance, um, if you want to sort of be fair, because you're obviously, if you're having a, a bigger event, you're going to have some better players and maybe some players that are not so good, um, be a little intimidated. So you might want to have a, a scramble format. Uh, for instance, if you're playing a, a larger event or, or certainly a best ball style game is often recommended. And you want to do it in such a way in order to, as I said, to keep people on an equal footing so that you're not getting... Uh, you know, individuals dominate. You certainly don't want to have, um, you know, a match play uh, format or something like that with, with uh, your clients and then you beat their brains out on the golf course. That's not going to be very good for closing that deal at the end of the session. So you want to make it a fun event. And, and as you said, there's going to be some other things we're going to talk about uh, having clinics and things like that in just a second. But uh, that's generally the, the, the idea is you want to find out what the end game is. What's the, the end result that you want to have from that event? Is it to build relationships uh, or is it to uh, maybe close deals, uh, or maybe is it just kind of a, a way of introducing and, and prospecting a little bit? So there's a lot of different things that you want to do, and you want to make sure that you match your goals um, and formats together so that it's it's going to be conducive for, for whatever your end game is. Um, well said, uh, Bill, and thanks for, for that input. Um, number two point that I want to talk about, um, Bill, is um, the importance of proper etiquette. Um, and that is not just etiquette as far as how you actually play, but how you conduct and handle yourself um, out on the golf course. Let's talk a little bit about that as well. Um, ultimately, it's, it's meant to be fun and, and a more casual way to connect with peers and partners. Um, maybe a couple of do's and don'ts uh, if you want to throw some in there, Bill, um, as far as from uh, a client's perspective or a, a host of the, of the uh, event. Um, you want to make sure that, especially if you have other um, attendees from your organization there representing you, you want to have some do's and don'ts uh, while you're out there. So maybe touch a little bit on, on from your perspective, and then I'll add a few as well. Yeah, I, I think the, the first thing is, and, and I, I find this with, with players <clears throat> all the time, they're very nervous of what the other player's perception is of them. And I think that goes a long way to that, that etiquette for the do's and don'ts. Nobody, you know, in the in the bottom line, nobody really cares how you play except for you. And it, you know, as, as right. simple as that. Be mindful of yourself and be able to, you know, control your thoughts, control your actions. That way, it allows you to play your best. The problem is when you're trying to impress people with your game, then it then it becomes, you know, it becomes a little bit more difficult, and you get into into some mental areas that that are going to drive you crazy on many many different levels and I, I don't have time to get into them all but i think one of the things that you right. have to remember is just go out and play it's a game it's not a feat it's not a it's not a conquest it's a game we play games go right. out and play and enjoy yourself i think that's the biggest thing that i find players with phobias are worried about doing this don't do this don't do that don't do this no go out and play and enjoy yourself i think that's the first thing that, and that, if you keep that in mind, it, you know, it's a bit like the golden rule, do unto others as you'd like done to you. You, you do that, yep. and you know, you're going to have some fun playing this game in that corporate environment because so often the competition isn't necessarily really serious, and it's not, and it shouldn't be. It's about to have some enjoyment and to build relationships with people that are hopefully long-lasting and will be beneficial to you not only in the short term but the long term. Yeah, and you also have to look at it, and I'm going to talk about a couple of things. And again, it goes back to the to the first point that we talked about: is is what is your end game? Uh, obviously, if you're there to, um, you know, close a deal or or something that event, um, you know, as the um, 
whether you're the instructor or whether you're somebody that's uh, uh, initiated this particular event, um, it, it's going to affect what your dialogue is going to be out in the golf course. If you're sort of prospecting and just meeting new prospects, one thing that you don't want to do, um, and, and again, we'll touch a little bit more in this later at, uh, in the last part of the segment, but um, you know, the last thing you want to do is to be just hammering home everything about your company the whole you know, four or five hours, whatever you're going to be out there. Uh, for this particular event, um, you want to have some some you know interesting dialogue. Talk about find out about that individual, what they like, uh, both on and off the golf course, and just have some conversation because this is a great opportunity uh, for those of you in business, large or small companies, uh, for you to be able to not just network but find out a little bit about your prospective customers. Um, is this somebody maybe you really want to do business with? Um, you know, you might get out there and, and find out this person's throwing their clubs all over the place every bad shot they make, um, has a quick temper, um, you know, maybe throwing a few expletives out there, Bill, and, and you might want to take a, look, a second look and think, whoa, you know, I, I don't know if I really want to do business with this person if, if this is how they handle themselves in a fun environment. The other thing from an employer's standpoint that you want to make sure that you get across to your employees is, yes, you want them to have fun and certainly everybody have a good time. Uh, but in a case, let's say, if, if uh, and most courses certainly do, you have a cart girl going around or, or might provide uh, some additional refreshments. Um, if you're serving alcohol at your event, um, you need to make sure that your employees are, you know, and I don't even want to say pacing themselves, uh, but not getting to the point where they can't stand up or they're slurring their words. Um, that, that's going to be a huge turnoff. It's going to make for a miserable event, and it's just going to uh, just have a, a bad outcome. So you want to make sure that everybody understands that even though this is meant to be a fun day, uh, you're still representing the company. So you want to make sure you put your best for, foot forward. Um, and golf is, is obviously, Bill, is a gentleman's game, and we want to make sure that uh, we maintain that sort of high level of, of standard out there. So um, those are some thoughts. Any others that you have in that area of, of etiquette that you might want to brush on that we didn't talk yeah, you know, again, it's just it's just being mindful and thoughtful of other players. You know, that's really the biggest the biggest key, um, and just enjoying yourself. Don't don't try to be somebody you're not. And I think that's the that's the hard part. If that's just in a normal round of golf, because so often we're trying to be something or um, that we're not, and that creates a you know a real tough scenario. You know, and I think the other thing with with the people you're playing with, especially if they're prospects in business. Ask them questions and intently listen to them. Because I've, I found in life, yes. when I, I bring a new client in, I ask them and I sit there and listen. I mean, I am just, my eyes are locked mm -hmm. on their eyes and listening to every word they say because they'll lead me to where we need to go. And that's the, that's the yes. biggest thing. So often we don't use our eyes and our ears as the technology that they really are. And they are the most wonderful pieces of technology that we own, but we fail to use them so often. We hear, but we don't listen. And there's, there's a big difference between the two, and I think those two little areas, you know, being yourself and listening intently will, will bode well for you in the, in the long term in any type of gathering in golf. Yeah, uh, and that's, that's an excellent point. You're exactly right. There's nothing worse, um, you know, than to get in the, you know, you're, you're paired up with a prospect, uh, and as the prospect's um, position, you get in from the first, you know, first tee, and right away, um, your partner is getting into their sales pitch uh, and not really listening to anything you have to say. You know, let the let the um, let the person that you're invited as your guest 
sort of lead the conversation. If they want to talk a little bit about shop, uh, certainly, you know, uh, you'd want to hear, adhere to that. But if they just want to go out and, and, you know, talk about kids or talk about, um, you know, fishing or whatever it is out there, let them lead the conversation. And you're exactly right. You know, listen intently and, and don't try to, you know, dominate the conversation by bringing it back to shop talk because a lot of clients will get turned off by that and they feel like they're in a more of a high pressure sales um, environment as opposed to out, you know, having a fun day. That's, you know, that's what you invited them there for. Uh, ultimately, you know, you do have maybe some agendas that you want to uh, build that uh, business relationship and, and hopefully get business out of them if you haven't already done so. Um, but you want to make sure that they're there to have fun as well and, and not sort of browbeat them into uh, closing right. deals, you know, and, and, and that's... And Right. That's that's spot on, Ted. Go ahead. And, and it's just, you know, not talking so much shop, but building relationships. And that's one of the things I think is so so key and so so big is that relationship you're building. It's not just for one sale. You're building a long-term relationship. And I think that's the thing we forget about sometimes in these, you know, with the golf events and the outings is, you know, getting to know the people, building a relationship with them, and then the trust with one another to be able to you know, flourish for, on both ends. You know, you, you get the product or the service that they offer, but they also appreciate you for being a great customer. And I think that's the, you know, both ways is, is something that's that's got to be done. And, and it really, the folks that do that do a wonderful job with it. It's not talking shop because those things lead, lead in when they need to. I, I think it's just, you know, let the customer or the other folks lead the conversation a little bit and, you know, get to know them. That long-term relationship, I think, is something that's, that's uh, you know, it does get missed in, in anything. If we build a long-term relationship, yeah. it works great. Yeah, you're exactly right. Well said. You know, and I think it goes, obviously, it comes like any anything, <clears throat> excuse me, it comes with experience. I think as you become more experienced in business, I think you, you start to recognize that. I think a lot of people, when they first get out there, are very excited, um, you know, very eager to sort of prove themselves in the business world. <clears throat> pardon me and they tend to you know fall into that trap where they're they're you know trying to get that deal or get that sale and uh not really thinking of of the customer's needs uh and and you know wants and desires so uh, uh some great points there as well um bill something that you you sort of um brushed on in the very beginning and i want to get into a little bit more detail because this comes from the the uh, teach professional or coaches side of things and that's the what we call the clinical approach and and uh, there are so many different choices. We'll talk about a few of them um, that are available for planning a golf event. So as an example, we'll just throw a scenario out there. If you're a business uh, and you're hosting uh, some sort of a golf event uh, where maybe you're inviting some clients, um, uh, prospective clients, maybe existing clients, um, you might want to consider having a golf professional there as well to run some sort of a clinic. So, Bill, talk about maybe some of the things that you personally like to do or have done uh, that you found successful that maybe some of our listeners out there that are in the same profession that uh, maybe they haven't thought of or maybe uh, would like to brush up on a little bit. Talk a little bit about that, and then I'll throw a few uh, suggestions in I, as well. I, I've been part of something as big as 10 professionals setting up a, um, a morning clinic with uh, you know, a big company like General Electric um, and Granger. We do stations with all the players, work on different aspects of their game, and then have lunch and then go out, a professional's paired with each group, and play a, uh, the professional plays their own ball and then the group plays a scramble for a, for, or a half scramble, uh, Texas scramble, whatever you want to call it, for a, uh, a fun right. day. And I think you know, there's all kinds of opportunities, but there's also little areas where I can have you know, a, a one 
client bring out seven, you know, six customers, three customers. We work for three hours or so on something that they want to do in the morning, driver optimization, short game, overall swing, course management, work for maybe three hours in the morning there, have lunch, and then go out and play 18 holes afterwards. There's, a, there's many different uh, aspects. When somebody's planning this event, it's always good because it adds something different. And I think that's the thing when you're, when you're planning one of these events, you have to differentiate yourself. There's so many scrambles mm-hmm. and corporate scrambles, and it's the same yada yada. You get a cheap hat, and you get, you know, a <laughs> sleeve of crummy golf balls, and you know, uh, some swag and whatever. Um, but you know, if right. you're building a business, you want to do something that's absolutely different from everyone else. You know, having a professional there on the first tee with a launch monitor, just hitting, you know, just hitting shots on the driving range, doing a little driver optimization. You know, everybody hits two or three shots. The professional can add some some input and show players how to get a little bit more out of it. It's something as simple as that. It doesn't have to be long, a half yeah. hour, 45 minute, an hour clinic. Or you can get in depth and really dig in with a with a whole morning. Uh, you know, have a breakfast if you if you're that's your um, that's your intention. I mean, there's the, the sky's the limit. I think that's one of the things that people haven't looked at enough is these corporate mm-hmm. events. You know, differentiating yourself. There's a way to impress the clients. You thought of something different. Yes. And you were thoughtful of them to work on their game a little bit. And, you know, that's, you know, some of the things that we can do. It's basically, I call it a half day in play. You know, we work with the clients in the right. morning, and then we go ahead, have lunch, and go play in the afternoon. And it's, it's you know, we don't do tons of them, but the people we do it for just absolutely have just a wonderful time. Yeah, and, and that, that's exactly right, and that's a, a great way to, to approach it. Um, a, a couple of other things that I, I want to mention as well is one thing that you want to guard against, and again, unless, you know, obviously it's up to the client what they want to have, um, but the one thing as a professional that you want to guard against is, again, it's meant to be fun, it's meant to be certainly engaging, um, but you don't want to get in a situation where, especially if people are going to be playing uh, in some sort of a scramble or best ball format afterwards, uh, you don't want to get into major swing overhauls uh, during the session because the last thing you want to do is take somebody that's maybe having some issues, uh, some general pointers or tips that you can certainly give them, but you don't want to start doing a major swing overhaul if somebody comes up and you says, well, I'm, you know, I'm having a problem with you know, slicing the ball all the time or having a problem you know, coming this way or that way uh, and doing that, and then they get out on the golf course and everything falls apart because then they're not going to think too highly of you as a coach uh, at that point. Um, but it, you know, it's a great way, certainly for the golf professional, um, to maybe get some future lessons out of it, especially if they're piggybacking on uh, a corporate event. So you're exactly right. I think there's a myriad of things that you can do. Something else, uh, and, and again, this is certainly might be more inclined, for Bill, for some of the larger, uh, maybe medium to larger companies might want to take this on. Um, but something else that I found to be very, very successful uh, if you're wanting to not just have all of the, the focus and attention uh, maybe on your products or service, and that is bring in a charity of some sort. Uh, in other words, make your event about helping a, a local charity. Um, so in other words, it's kind of a fundraiser at the same time as a corporate event, and a lot of prospects and a lot of your clients um, as a business person that you're looking at uh, will look very favorably about uh, uh, you know, at your, your organization 
uh, if they see that you're giving back to the community, especially if it's, a, if it's a smaller community and there's maybe some local charities. It might even be a softball team maybe uh, needs to raise some money for jerseys. So you might want to you know, offer some sort of a draw or something at your event that's helping out a, a local school or uh, bo- uh, girls and boys club, something to that effect. So there's a lot of different ways that you can draw other people from it. And it's a great way to, um, to draw attention to your organization uh, through media. You can let the media know that, say, I'm having a golf event here. It's not just about smoozing with the clients. Uh, we're giving back to our community. And a lot of times you'll get some free publicity that way as well, which ultimately shines very favorably uh, back to your company, uh, to your organization. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. There's all kinds of add-ons you can do with, with drawings and, and even on-course contests. There's, there's some neat things that we can do. Um, one of them for raising money that I've used in the past is um, I call it birdie or bust. We find a par three. Um, where the green is fairly visible, and I'll have them cut five holes in it. And generally they're going to be in a diagonal from from front left to back right. And the players make a bet that they're going to make birdie on the hole. And they can, once they get on the green, they Mm -hmm. can putt to any hole. And that is, is, um, I mean, it's just everybody, it looks like as a player, you're up there, you're, you're, you're dripping from your jowls because it's like you can make two anywhere. And the and the thing is, it's it's right. really a good challenging thing. Everybody has a chance to do it. You get the ball. I mean, if you make two, then you get your you know you double your money and get it back. The other way, it goes to the everything goes to the charity, which I think is just a wonderful, you know, it's a neat little, it's a different kind of game. And there's all kinds of things that you can do. Penny raffles, you can do um, anything. Drawing numbers. I mean, it's just—it's yep. a great thing. You can have a—you uh, can have a junior golfer out there. Say if to—you know—out drive the kid, and you know, but you have to have a kid that can pound it. <laughs> and you know, people—you know—it's <laughs> yeah. it's some neat, some neat things that you can do. Um, there's all kinds. If you open your mind to it, there's all kinds of ways you can raise a little money for charity, kind of on the side with the business without really being, um, you know, overly egregious with it, because I think that's one sure. of the problems sometimes. Sure. It's, you feel like, you know, at some of the, I've been to some events for charity, and it's like Jesse James. Every turn, every time you turn around, they want $20 from you. And, you know, at, at some point, you know, I, I'm all for giving to charity, but you have to be a little bit more subtle at times, I think, to make things work the right way. Yeah, and you know, for some of the larger corporations out there that you know um, might be in a little bit better position, um, that might be fine. A lot of times, they might have a raffle or a draw. Uh, they might even have a um, uh, the name escapes me off the top of my head right now, but um, uh, a silent auction. Um, sometimes they'll have some memorabilia or something. They might have a silent auction. So there's a lot of uh, great things to do there. Um, the other thing too that you, again you want to kind of keep it a casual uh, you know environment. Uh, a lot of times a barbecue lunch uh, uh, can be good as well, uh, or depending on where you are, um, as opposed to maybe a more formal sit-down uh, type of meal. This way it gets everybody up. They're moving around. You're you're mingling, and you want to make sure, especially for some of the larger companies. Um, you want to make sure that, uh, you know, if you have support staff there, other employees, not just the salespeople, but the support staff as well, have them mingling, have them make sure that the clients are, are being looked after, you know, is asking questions, you know, is there anything that uh, you need that, you know, we can make sure we get for you and, and that sort of thing. And, and also make sure that the venue, that the course um, uh, that you're, you're uh, having it hosted at, 
they're also aware as well, and, and they're engaged. And obviously, I know sometimes they can spread themselves a little bit too thin, but uh, you might even want to see if maybe they've got an employee uh, at the golf course uh, other than the pro um, that may be involved as well, uh, you know, to give the clubs uh, a little bit of extra exposure as well. Talk about some of the things that go on at the course uh, um, that maybe for some that maybe aren't familiar. So uh, a lot of great things, a lot of great opportunities there. And I think really, uh, as you said, Bill, there's a lot of missed opportunities out there, um, even for small businesses. They, um, and, and let's just talk a little bit about that. Um, I think a lot of people are, are under the misnomer that you have to be a big company to have this huge event, but that's just not the case, correct? I mean, you can be a small business no. person and still take advantage uh, of, of some of the things that we're talking about. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, a few things that we have available now here at Balmoral Woods. Um, we have on-site embroidery. We have a smaller event, say 12 players. Sometimes when we order big big lots with logos and things, you can't get that. We can literally do, you know, 12 pieces with somebody's logo on it of uh, with shirts. Always ask the questions because it, it's, nothing is out of the realm, and things are not as expensive as you think they are. Because a lot of times we have a perception that unless you have a big group, you're not going to be able to get any type of any type of reasonable pricing on anything, and that's just not so. We right. have a lot of groups of eight to sixteen to twenty-four to thirty-two players. It's they're not large, large outings, but it is the it is the U.S. Open and the Masters for those for those companies. And sure. you know, a lot of times that smaller group it can become closer knit and. You, you can end up with better results in the end game than having a gigantic event where everybody is more or less a number where people are not a name. And I would I would say sometimes yes, from an owner's aspect, from our uh, the owners of our club here, Hits Incorporated, they love the big outing. But also, if I do ten smaller ones, now all of a sudden those those little groups they build little relationships within themselves, and then those little groups may end up having their own little group that has a has a uh it has an event. So I think the biggest thing is going back to what I was saying about the embroidery. You know, I've done the the, the events with GE. That event wasn't even huge. It was mm-hmm. only uh, I think I want to say it was like 48 players, maybe 50 players right. at max. So guess what? It's not even the big groups don't do a big group because they want to be intimate a little bit. And I think don't feel that you have to have the most gigantic event to do it. You can have the opportunity to get some smaller events. You know, like again with us, we can get the embroidery of things right here in small lots, which is something that's very unique. But you know, now for for instance, you don't have to spend tons of dollars, but you can you can um, make sure that the dollars you spend are very targeted, and you can get those good customers yes. or build those good relationships over the long term without spending, you know, the bank or your entire marketing budget on it. Yeah, and, and you know, the, 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 you raised a point a little while ago, and, and I want to just sort of come back to it because what you just said really kind of touches on that as well. Um, I, I think a lot of um, events that we see out there, in, and even today in golf, um, tend to focus their resources on, you know, maybe providing a golf hat or, you know, like I said, uh, you know, or you said a, a, a sleeve of, you know, uh, no-name golf balls or something to that uh, effect. And that's a very typical thing that we see a lot. And you know what? Some budgets may not be able to afford more. 
Um, but be a little bit creative as well. You want to give something that's going to be uh, a little bit more uh, long-lasting. That's not going to just, you know, because they use the golf balls, and if they're not a very good player, they've probably sliced all three of them into the woods anyway. Right. So they're not yeah, going to they be didn't taking make them home. Second and, right, exactly. And uh, or they're, you know, they're fishing them out of the pond or something. But um, you know, so you want to give something that they can they can take home with them and that they're not going to be, you know, shuffling off or collecting dust in the garage somewhere. Um, and, but at the same time makes you think, uh, uh, makes them rather think about uh, your organization in, in, a, in a positive light. So there's right. a lot of little things, and, and you need to be creative and, 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 and certainly diligent about that as well. Um, the other thing, too, that, that, you know, you were touching on a little bit is about some of these smaller events. Um, I, I want to just very quickly talk about from, uh, the golf professional standpoint. If the golf professional is the one that's hosting the event, uh, obviously your end game is you're hoping to get uh, uh, maybe future events, but also uh, some golf lessons out of it. Um, again, you don't want to be too aggressive um, with that, and during whatever event you have, unless it's specifically, um, you know, targeted for an area of the game, you want to make sure that you're not, um, you know, getting into a full-blown session. Uh, there on the golf course, because again, you're you know you're you're dealing with a lot of individuals, perhaps maybe uh, half a dozen to a dozen out there, and you don't want to start getting too detailed or too complicated because you're going to lose uh, you know everybody to um, what I call the slot machine eyes, where their eyes are rolling back in their head because you're you're going over over top of them all the time. Um, so you want to mm-hmm. keep it simple, but you want it to be informative. Uh, like you said, maybe a bunker clinic, talking about um, some tips right. on how to get out of uh, deep bunkers, uh, that sort of thing. So you want to keep it simple right. as possible. Um, and if you're um, a golf pro that's invited to somebody else's event, um, a big no-no that I've seen, if somebody comes up and asks you, and you certainly want to maybe have some cards and things to pass out, you don't want to be harassing your um, business partner's potential customers hitting them up for lessons um, at their event. Uh, that to me, right. in my opinion, is, is unprofessional. You can certainly inquire and you can certainly ask if, if somebody needs help, uh, but you don't want to be sort of overshadowing um, why they're there. They're there to bring their prospects. They've invited you as a guest um, to make it a little bit more fun and interesting. Uh, you don't want to be spending the two hours or whatever that you're there for, um, you know, soliciting business for their customers and, and right. not letting them handle the, their business sort of thing. So that's something that you want to do. Um, and the other thing, Bill, too, let's talk a little bit about is it doesn't have to be an all-day event. It can be an hour or two-hour event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a few things that right. I've, uh, I, you know, yeah, that I've looked at. And uh, some great ideas are doing, you know, a networking thing after hours, 6 p.m. You know, here in the northern regions in the summer, it stays light, pretty late. So we can have a bar set up right. on the practice green, set up a putting co- a little putting clinic on half the green, putting contest on the other, hors d'oeuvres and wine, and have them mix and mingle that way. You know, kind of a little chips and sips type of idea. That's a wonderful little, right. that can be a, an hour, hour and a half, two-hour event. And then the people are going to be there is a real mingle because the, one of the problems is they go to play 18 holes of golf, they'll be away from each other for four and a half hours with just three other players. Now you do something like yep. this where you bring in 20 people, everybody gets to talk to each other, they're doing some contests possibly, they're doing, we're doing a putting clinic, we have some stations set up with our mirrors, with our eyeline golf things and, and some drills. Now they're getting better right away, but they're also – there with a glass of wine and maybe a little appetizer and being able to, 
you know, talk with people. And I think the the one thing that we always have to remember is, you know, as a professional or anything, people don't a lot of times don't remember how you how you talk to them or what you told them. They remember how they made them feel. And when we can make right. a player feel so much better about their game, it's it's just just absolutely I mean it it's <clears throat> changing. And the same thing can be said as we're helping one of our customers bring new clients in. If we can engage them, we can educate them and entertain them and make them feel good, the likelihood that they're going to do business with the with the with our customer is great, but it's also very great that they may bring some people to us to do business with us. So that's something I think that's overlooked. It's remember the whole end game on our end is making them feel great. And that's the idea. When we yes. make them feel great, our business will thrive. Yeah, and that's that's exactly right. And you know, as I as I said before, um, you know, our job is not there to impress them with our knowledge of how much we know about the game. They're they're expecting that. They know that we're informed as as golf professionals that we're going to have uh, sort of the inside track, if you will. Um, so it's not there to try and impress them with all kinds of stats and figures and and uh, our, our vast knowledge of of the golf game. Uh, it's there to make it fun and enjoyable and, and most importantly, engaging. And as you pointed out in the very beginning, uh, the number one thing is we need to be listening. And I think really as an industry, I think we need to be listening more because I think one of the problems that's happened in the last 10, 15, maybe even 20 years in the golf industry is there's been so many different swing theories and so many different approaches to the game that have really been sort of marketed out there to the mass, uh, uh, to the masses, if you will, and I think it's in some ways it's been interesting to some, but in other ways it's been a little bit overwhelming and it's actually been a bit of a turnoff. Um, when somebody just wants something very simple, um, they don't want to get hit with a bunch of marketing and telling them how they need to be playing the game um, when, when all they want to do is just maybe uh, lower their scores a little bit. And, and I think sometimes, or maybe just be a, become a better putter or chipper or whatever the case may be. Um, so we have to be mindful of that when we're in some of these clinics as well, that we're not just sitting there and, and reading from a script and telling them how wonderful uh, this game is and how much we know about it. Um, we've got to be mindful and make sure we're listening to them. Um, the other thing that, uh, that I want to mention too as well is obviously if you've had a successful event, um, every event comes to a close. And this one's called, of course, playing the business card. And this is where, you know, as things sort of wrap up, um, you've had some great conversation. Maybe you've had a great demo uh, clinic that's been hosted by the professional. Um, if you've had one on board and you want to make sure that you take opportunities uh, when made available uh, to not only network, but to also uh, during your post-game reception. So maybe touch on some things. Uh, you know, obviously we're there to do business with one another. Uh, maybe touch on some things from the uh, event holder, in other words, uh, the business person that's been invited, and maybe from the professional, um, how we want to have the day end. What are we looking for? What's our end game? You know, I think uh, the end of the day, you know, you hand out the prizes, the thank yous. Um, I think one of the things is, is just, um, you know, shaking the hands, and that's where the business cards get handed back and forth. Let's stay in touch. You know, if there's anything I can ever help you with, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'll do the same with you, things of that nature. And I think one of the things that we forget sometimes in that situation, we have so many people that are different businesses. I think one of the things networking-wise there, we have to encourage our customers or our potential customers to network with each other. Because now all of a yes. sudden you may be, show up in a great light because you helped company A 
meet company B, and they they thrive and build a, a wonderful relationship. Now together, they come back to you and give you even a better potential. So I think that's the biggest thing. It's not just about us; it's about them. If we make it about them, then we're our, you know we communicate with each other. You know, it's something as simple as having a roster of everybody. If we can gather an email address now we can send a roster out of everybody that was there to each other and that makes even a bigger networking um, web for people and that's the thing your network can't be too big and i think that's something we fear about sometimes we get a little uh you know get a little hesitant about that but you know you never know there might be one customer that does a little bit of business with you but he can do a lot of he or she can do a lot of business with one of your bigger customers and then now all of a sudden you make yep. make that web, that whole circle works the right way for you. Yeah, exactly. Well said. Um, one other thing, Bill, I, I neglected to mention, and I, and I want to bring this up because I think this is extremely important, especially for some of the larger companies out there. And, and I'm not necessarily talking, um, you know, 100 uh, or 150 employees uh, event or something like that. Um, but certainly, you know, maybe a, a couple of dozen, let's say, as an example. Um, you need to be mindful that there may be some people in your organization that are not golfers. Um, maybe they might not even really want to uh, come out there and play because they're not very good. They don't want to embarrass themselves. Uh, and you touched on this earlier about maybe having some different games. There's all kinds of games that don't necessarily take a great deal of, of skill uh, out in the golf course. You might have a, a, a chipping or a putting uh, game of some sort where there, again, could be some prizes involved and things like that. You want to have something available for those that are out there that maybe are not very proficient in golf but want to feel like they're participating in the event. So you don't want to leave them out. And that's a thing that a lot of times we see. I mean, I'll see sometimes companies, they'll, they'll come out and, um, you know, I'll see half a dozen employees and they're sitting behind a desk or, or a, um, uh, you know, a makeshift uh, uh, chair and, and table and, you know, they're collecting IDs or handing out IDs or what have you. And that's fine. That needs to be done. But then their day's over and they're sitting around for four or five hours doing nothing because they're not playing in the in the, the event itself. So right. there needs to be some other events and things. So maybe touch on some things. Anything that you can think of that maybe yeah. you've done uh, in you know, your own situation. I, I'm going to give you two wonderful examples. I've added in a putting contest or, you know, or a pitching contest. You know, just a couple shots to get the ball close to the hole or, or putting for four or five holes. I think that's a wonderful opportunity. And, you know, on a big event, I've actually used it as a 19th hole to, to even out the pace of play. So once they come off 18, they go and putt the six holes, and then they go to number one. That, that can break up the monotony of the play as well, and that's something that's good for everybody. And the people can, that don't want to play can stay and, and do that type of thing. Another one is I've got a client in uh, Boca Raton. It's a new business called Fifi's, and I'm actually going to go mm-hmm. to the business there and do a little afternoon clinic with, uh, you know, Ask the Pro and, you know, bring a, a portable putting green with me. And it's a, it's a brand-new boutique in downtown, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to them and, and provide a clinic there for their customers. I mean, that's a, just a, a unique opportunity that we can afford. Now, there's one that we can do something off the course. Now, we can also, with their employees, be at the, at the facility at their own shop, in this case, that the, the Fifi's in downtown Boca. Now, it's perfect. I mean, it's just you can bring everything, yep. to every, you can bring it to them, too. And that's one of the things I would say with the, with the business owners. I would not absolutely 
think that that you can't do something at your own place. You know, you may have a uh, your business meetings and everything, and then all of a sudden, you know, you've got a two-day uh, business meeting at your at your office. You need to break something up or for some team building over lunch. Have a have a professional come in and do a putting clinic for you. Something as simple as that. Yeah. And you know what? There, you can even take it a step further. That's, that's a great example. And uh, I, I got to ask you, what what is Fifi's? What type of boutique is it? I'm just it's curious. A, it's you know a offhand? resale boutique. Yeah, it's a resale boutique in downtown uh, Boca. Oh wow! Interesting. Do, I had to ask when it with a name like Fifi. Yeah, it's a men's and ladies high-end uh, uh, resale shop. Oh, okay. Very cool. Um, well, well, good luck with that. It sounds like a great opportunity. Um, another thing as well, too, that, that just to take it a step further, is you know, it it's, doesn't always have to be about golf events. Um, this can sort of fall in suit, too. Um, as an example, another opportunity that maybe pro, some pros may not even have thought of this, but um, a lot of companies might have seminars. Uh, and there's nothing worse if you've got to be in a full-day seminar or even a weekend seminar if it's for some of the bigger companies, um, and you know you're you're in front of your laptop and you know maybe you've got uh, some of the executives up there talking about different product lines coming out and that, and it can get pretty boring. So a great way for a company, um, if they don't have time or don't want to schedule uh, an away event over at a local golf course. With, with the different social media platforms out there, you can actually have um, a golf pro piped in via Skype, via whatever medium platform you want to use, um, to that event, and they can actually host a clinic or do uh, um, maybe even a question and answer uh, thing about golf, just sort of break up the, the daily monotony, and can do it very economically. And it also, uh, the pro can do it in such a way that he or she doesn't have to take a lot of time away either. So they can do it with just a simple camera uh, and whether it be a golf tip, they can have an assistant with them out there, maybe an assistant pro out there with them uh, on the range and just talk about some things uh, and just maybe might do a 30-minute clinic uh, just to sort of break up that that seminar or webinar, if you will, um, for business as well. So that's another option um, for the pro to be involved without having to take the company uh, off-site uh, to a, a golf course if they don't have it in their budget or time to do so. So just so, some thoughts uh, for that as well. Uh, any any other things that you want to throw in the mix there? Uh, yeah, Bill? that that that's the that's the idea. And I think you know, as as anybody opening a new business, they can really find some you know with with very inexpensively find some ideas like that. That really, again, it's about being unique, making their customers and their potential customers feel wonderful and giving them a good feeling, while at the same time doing something that's absolutely unique that no one else does. And I think that's where we can differentiate ourselves when we run these events, is you do it differently, yeah. and people will remember how you made them feel and, and how the event was. Right. And, and you've got to do it with a little bit of sense of humor in that, too. You know, a great way, uh, again, if, just taking that last scenario that I gave, something else that you might want to do, especially if, if the event has been set up, you know, weeks or months in advance, um, you can get the employees to submit questions to the professional uh, of things that they would like to see demonstrated or talked about so that they've got it. And then, you know, you can even say, well, you know, Bob uh, from accounting wants to know how to handle this scenario. And then you, you go through some of the scenarios there and, and talk about that. So that kind of engages them. It makes them feel that you're listening to some of their suggestions or inquiries uh, and you're, you're speaking directly to them. 
um, in a lot of different creative ways. So, I mean, there's a myriad of things that you can do, and, and uh, this was a discussion I thought would be interesting to have and get a little bit more meat on the bone, if you will, Bill, just because um, there are so many opportunities, and we've got to be creative in this industry because it can't be just all about uh, out playing 18 holes all the time. We've got to find new and creative ways as an industry uh, to be competitive because there are so many different industries out there competing for uh, you know, that dollar that if we don't uh, sort of step up our game, no pun intended, um, we're going to fall behind. Uh, and, and unfortunately, that has happened in some way. So a uh, lot of great suggestions that you had, Bill. Um, any, anything else that you want to do before we close off? Well, I, I just want to touch back on, you know, because it's always asked, you know, there's a, there's a perception that getting uh, merchandise is it's too expensive to do. And I think one of the things that a, a mistake that I see people making, and I, I have fortunately not done this myself. I learned very early on with my own apparel, with my own logo on it. I want to only use products and brands that reflect the image of my, of my company and my brand. And I think that's something that people overlook. Sometimes they go for the dollars versus the image. And I think that's one of the things you have yes. to do. You have to select brands of the things that you're going to put your logo on that match the image of your business. If you're a, you know, a multi-million yes. dollar business and you put your image on a very cheap product, that's the thing that's going to yes. reflect on you. So I think that's something to always ask about and look because the pricing on that stuff is not, especially even if you go through your own golf shop, they're offering discounts like crazy. And I, I think that's one of the things you have to, you have to ask about because they're going to be able to get you green grass, high-end product at a, at a very reasonable price if you, if you will speak with them and give them an opportunity. And I think that's, a, that's an error I see a lot of people make. They don't put their logo on products that, that match the image of their company. Yeah, and, and, and you're exactly right. I mean, I don't know how many times, you know, and I'm sure you've seen it as well, and you, you go to an event and, you know, whatever product or, that they may have, it, you can tell. And, and I understand people have limited budgets and that, but I think sometimes it's better not to have some of these little gadgets and things like that at an event. I would rather, to be honest, I would rather have a keychain with your logo on it than to have a, a hat that you know is, is going to fall apart, uh, you know, the first windstorm or the first rain uh, and they've stamped this logo on there, um, uh, or a, you know, a, a sleeve of EXO golf balls that you know they've just you know yeah. fished out, as I said earlier, out of the pond. That you know that there's not a lot of uh, expense put into it. Um, I would rather have something that's a little bit nicer quality. I'd rather have a pen. I've been to events yeah. where they gave out uh, a very nice cross pen uh, with their mm-hmm. uh, bits embroidered across it. That was much better. It was something I can use day to day, you know, as I'm uh, writing checks or filling orders or doing whatever than, you know, as you said, a cheesy hat or something like that. So, right, um, right, right. Great, uh, right. Um, well, great discussion. You know, that, that I think uh, we broke a record here. I think that's the fastest hour we've had on Coach's Corner um, that I can recall in a long time, and there were only two of us on the panel. Um, so that was a very interesting discussion. I hope you enjoyed it, uh, Bill. But um, I want to give you just the last couple of moments before I move on just to remind everybody how they can reach out to you and, and just to refresh their memory where you're going to be this winter. Yeah, I'll be at uh, with the Golf Channel Academy at TPC Eagle Trace in Coral Springs, Florida, which is just a, a bit northwest of um, Fort Lauderdale. It's a pretty easy trip. Um, west on the expressway to uh, the Sawgrass Expressway and uh, – 
on the Atlantic uh, Atlantic Boulevard exit, and uh, it's a real easy easy trip. Um, wonderful facility. You can reach me at billabramsgolf.com is my personal website. Um, I can also be reached um, at Bill Abrams or uh, on my. Uh, Bill Abrams is my my phone number. Will be six three zero nine two six four five five four is my personal line, uh, my cell, and also you can get me at b a b r a m s p g a fifty two at gmail dot com are ways to directly reach me. And again, I'll be with the Golf Channel Academy at uh, TPC Eagle Trace this winter, and then back here again at Bill Abrams Golf Solutions Academy at Balmoral Woods uh, starting uh, late April of uh, twenty eighteen. Looking forward to helping everybody out, and as my motto says, I specialize in making players smile and, uh, again, making people feel great <laughs> about their golf games. <laughs> yeah, that, and what a great motto as well, um, well, uh, well stated. Well, Bill, as always, I want to thank you for joining me uh, tonight on, on uh, what I consider a special coach's corner. I, I've really appreciated having you uh, over the last several months uh, jumping in and, and throwing your hat into the ring. It's always a pleasure, and I know – uh, I haven't looked at the schedule, but I think you might be on for at least one more before the, the season ends. And I hope that your schedule will permit uh, in 2018, I'll be sending them out. Just uh, for those that are tuning in that have either been on or maybe would like to be on, uh, I'm going to be sending out probably very early in November. Uh, I'm going to be sending out the um, Coach's Corner schedule for 2018. Of course, it'll be a blank schedule uh, with the, the dates that uh, will be um, uh, having that uh, particular segment of the show. Uh, so if you're interested, if you've been on it uh, this year uh, or previous years and uh, you want to throw your hat into the mix as you were, uh, I'll be sending that out sometime early in November. So, Bill, I hope you're going to be able to uh, squeeze me in your schedule next year. I hope you I won't be too, too busy. I certainly will. It's, uh, always, it's always a pleasure. It's an always a pleasure, and thanks so much, All right, well, You do a wonderful show, and it's, a, it's great topics. And, uh, you know, things. It, it, it definitely provokes some thought, hopefully, with our listeners and uh, helps them find a little different way to think about things. Again, thanks so much, Ted, and I will look forward to talking with you soon. All right. Sounds good, Bill. You have a great weekend, and we'll talk soon. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. That was my uh, very special guest uh, on the Coach's Corner panel. As I said, it was just Bill and I uh, this evening uh, sort of holding down the fort. Uh, always uh, interested in having uh, some great discussions on Coach's Corner, and tonight we talked about uh, how to network and market yourself really uh, on the golf course, not only as a golf professional, but also as a business leader. If you're out there and you want to have an event, uh, you want to reach out to your local golf course and your local professionals uh, and see if there's ways that you both can work together and create a successful event. Uh, very excited about having this next gentleman on the show, uh, AJ Bonner. He's the uh, head teacher professional at the, uh, of course, AJ uh, Golf School out in California. Let me just tell you a little bit about him, and then I'll bring him on the show. Uh, AJ is 73 and married to his lovely wife, uh, Ethel, uh, for 50 years. He's got two sons, four grandsons, and one uh, granddaughter. Uh, he's played this great game of, of golf for 65 years and has been uh, teaching for 49 of them. I uh, played four years at Kent State uh, University, and I believe he, he camped, uh, captained the team. Uh, he was also the men's and women's golf coach at Bowling Green uh, State University from 77 to 84. Uh, he's also, for many years, was the golf director at San Diego Golf Academy uh, from 1985 to 94. And he's also the author of AJ Reveals the Truth About Golf. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, the book and DVD series. Uh, as I said, currently uh, he's conducting the AJ Golf School uh, at uh, Morgan Run Club and Resort in Rancho Santa Fe, uh, California, where he's uh, the head teacher professional. 
Uh, and he's also uh, a teaching pro for many players on the PJ, LPJ, and web.com tours. And he's a contributing, a contributing excuse me, instruction editor to Golf Magazine, uh, Golf Illustrated, and Golf Tips Magazine. And he was also uh, two years as an R&D consultant as research and development for TaylorMade Golf. So uh, without further ado, let me bring on my very special guest this evening. Good I evening, AJ. Well, good evening. How are I'm you, doing fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's e- it's evening here. It's the late afternoon for you, I guess. But uh, exactly. uh, thank- exactly. first off, let me just say thank you. Yeah, yeah, AJ, let me just say first off, um, thank you very much. I mean that sincerely for, for coming on um, the show and, and doing this tonight. Uh, I, I've been looking forward uh, for the last several weeks since this was put together about having you on the show. Uh, I remember, of course, uh, many, many uh, uh commercials and infomercials that you've done over the years uh talking mm-hmm. about this great game that we both love uh so i'm quite familiar with who you are and uh but some of the folks out there may not be so we're going to talk a little bit about you before we get into some of the questions tonight what i would like to uh, do if you don't mind is just maybe share a little bit about the backstory about how you got into golf what sort of uh, got your juices flowing about this great game well my older brother uh he's three years older terry um was he got interested in it. We, we we grew up in a neighborhood where we all played baseball and basketball and football and everything we did we played every sport there was and he got hooked on golf as a caddy and anything he did i wanted to do and so he was big brother i've decided i was going to we had a municipal course we're from steubenville ohio and um, okay steel mill town just just west of pittsburgh and we had a nine hole municipal golf course uh it cost like uh for juniors, it cost um, 39 cents to play or something, I remember. <laughs> it, was, it was not very oh, much. Wow. So, so my, my dad bought us a summer, a summer membership uh, each summer uh, for the students and kids that we could do that. And I just spent all day there trying to learn how to hit a golf shot. And I remember the, on the sixth hole, at the, we called it Goat Hill, and it was Bellevue Golf mm-hmm. Course. I remember hitting a six iron, the likes of which I had never hit before. And I remember thinking, I want to do this the rest of my life. <laughs> and wow. I, to this day, I was, I couldn't have been more than about uh, 10 or 11 years old. And I remember it now, like it was yesterday. And it was, um, it, it's never gone away. It's just in that, that sensation of being able to make that thing go the way you could make it go. And, there, I tried to find answers for everything, I, you know, because mm-hmm. I learned how to play all those other sports and, you know, we had coaches and they taught us what to do and we did it. And I played tennis and ping pong and all those games that we played and we were pretty good at them. You know, you could take the ping pong ball and do fun things with it, with that paddle. And uh, it was just great growing up in that community that I grew up in. And it was, uh, but when it came to golf, nobody had any real answers. And I, 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 right. I was just shocked. And, and, and our parents, my, my mother was a school teacher. My mother was born in 1913, and she did. She, she grew up at a time when women didn't have many opportunities. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. And so she she did everything she wanted to do her whole life. She even became the first woman to solo at the Steubenville Airport and the first woman to get her private pilot's license when she was in her 50s. So she she did what wow. she pleased and taught us all and taught us all the same thing. My brother and me both. My father was a uh, was a machinist and a toolmaker, 
And he, he, he knew everything and could build anything out of anything with any tool. And he taught us when we were very young how to use tools. And one time he told me, I'll never forget it. it was, again, it was like yesterday to me, to even today. He said, son, you don't pound nails with a screwdriver. <laughs> well, and, and, and the whole idea is every tool is designed to give you a mechanical advantage of some kind. And the screwdriver screws, yeah, that's the screw exactly. screws it out, right? And the hammer pounds the nail straight in. Right. You use the tool the way it's made to be used, and you get a mechanical advantage out of it. Now, what we have in a golf bag is a whole bag full of tools. And I'm yeah. afraid that when we yeah, look and at I, that tool – go ahead. No, you're, you're exactly right. I was just going to say, um, just sort of interject, you're exactly right. And, and I want to talk about that. We're going to get into some specifics here in just a moment, but um, you're exactly right. Uh, I mean, here we have 14 clubs in the bag, um, all have a different function, uh, essentially, but um, for some reason, the, the mass population out there of golfers, especially many of our high handicappers, haven't really learned how to use the tools properly. And, and I want you to help tonight uh, for the audience um, to talk about specific things uh, of that nature. Um, but I, w- I just want to quickly make a, a point. Um, I- I'm 53, going to be 54 next year, so I'm a little bit younger than you, but I've been around long mm-hmm. enough. And I remember, you know, when my, when my father took me out and, you know, we played uh, on, you know, either a, a local par three course or an executive style course, uh, there seemed to be yes. a lot more of them around at that time, especially up in the, up in the north. And, um, you know, I remember those days fondly. You know, I was fairly old uh, by some standards before I got to go out in a, what I would call a, a full course, uh, if you will. My father would not let me go out to, okay. to play on, on the regular course until I was right. able to, to, you know, be comfortable with, with the tools, if you will, in my hand. Uh, and right. then it was it's sort of like a treat, if you will. It's like going to get an ice cream cone. Right. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Um, right, and and there was a reason for that. I want you to start off the conversation tonight before we get into some of the specifics. I know you want to talk about where is the industry missing the boat? What has been? Why are so many people still struggling, and handicaps are not you know coming down as much as they should? With all the technology out there, with all of the innovations out there, in your opinion, what is some of the causes for that? Well, the, the primary cause, from my perspective, is this. Everyone that I see on the lesson tees doesn't understand how the tool is designed to be used. And the way they believe it's designed to be used is that they built this golf club with a certain amount of loft on it, right? Let's say we take an 8-iron, okay? An 8-iron has right. a certain amount of loft. They built that club with that much loft, and the way I'm supposed to use that club is to have it be exactly that loft when it hits the ball, meaning the club head yes. catches up to the handle and it's the handle's dead straight and the club head is caught up to the handle exactly at the moment you hit the ball. And that would be the way that tool is designed mm-hmm. to be used. When the fact is every tool in the bag, every club in your bag is designed with eight degrees too much loft on it. It's our job to get rid of those eight degrees at impact. And there's a good mechanical reason for that. This isn't just some sort of a strange thing that, well, why would they do that? Why don't they just make eight degrees less loft on it? Well, here's why. We have a, again, this is the misunderstanding of the science of uh, what makes things go far. <laughs> and in golf, we right. have this universal concept that club head speed is the secret to distance, do we not? Right. Club head speed. Fast you move the club? Yeah. 
farther go. Well, the fact is, the secret isn't club head speed. The secret is moment of inertia. Now, mm-hmm. stay with me on this one because I'm gonna. I, I've, I've tried to find a way to. I, I do this with every student at my school. <laughs> we go through this very thing, and I, I've tried to find a way to make it easy because, my, as I said, my mother was a school teacher, and she told me once when she knew I was going to be a teacher of some kind. She said, right. "I want you to understand something. Your job isn't as a teacher isn't to explain things." Your job is to find a way to make it easier for your student to learn it. If you can't do yeah. that, they don't need you. They can learn mm-hmm. it on their own because you're not exactly. going to make them learn faster. That's what a teacher's job yeah. is, no matter what you're teaching. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah you're exactly right. It, and, and let me just point out real quickly, and then I'll let you continue. That's one mm-hmm. of my criticisms, and I, and I don't know if you happen to hear some of the earlier segment uh, with uh, a fellow uh, golf professional, but one of the criticisms that I have uh, with the industry is, uh, for some reason, we seem to have this um, desire to show how much we know to all of our students. You know, we've right. been trained, we've been taught how to right. do certain things, and I now we want to say, hey, look what, right, I know right. this, and we spend, you know, our 30-minute or hour lesson, whatever it may be, right. in a sense, and I hate to say this, kind of showing off and, and, and our knowledge. Yep. And, and I understand part of it, but I think that the problem is this is why so many students get frustrated is because we're not really telling them anything. We're just telling them what we know, and it's not always right. useful information that they're going to be able to take on the golf course. So um, go ahead. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. The, uh, the idea is that uh, – we have been playing other games with a stick in our hand for a long time. Most of us have, have we not? Right. Sure. Yeah. Baseball. Yeah. Ping hockey. Pong, yeah. Field hockey. Yeah. I have some uh, women students that are field hockey players. Okay. So that's mm-hmm. just running up the field and whacking the heck out of the ball down, the, down, down toward the other goal. Right. And you're doing it while you're right. Running. And what you learn to do is you learn to use the stick properly. Don't you? Sure. That's, yeah the goal learn to use the stick properly not your shoulder not your hips not your knees learn to use the stick the right way and here's one of the reasons that this is the way it is that we have to do it the way we really have to learn these things when we're born when little boys are born it's a little different for little girls but when little boys are born the first six years of our life is the gross motor development period meaning the big muscles okay Right. And the big muscles, all of those programs, running, jumping, climbing, doing things, you know, running races and doing swimming and all that stuff where your big muscles are involved, all of those motor, gross motor skills are completely developed by age six. And those programs are put on a ROM chip in our head, read-only memory. If you're not Michael Jordan in running and jumping by the time you're six, you're never going to be him. Okay, we are who yep, we no, are. That makes as sense. A gross motor, as a gross motor athlete, by age six, little girls by age three, so they're still ahead of us. Hmm. <laughs> so, so what happens if you take a look at the human body and stand up and look at your two elbows? The elbow is the line of demarcation between the fine motor system down to your hands and the gross motor system up your arm and through your body down to your leg. So the elbow separates your hands and forearm from the big muscles in a sense. Okay. 
So the fine motor yep. system lives in our two hands and forearms below the elbow. That's the fine motor system. That motor system is random access memory the rest of our life after we after age six. That's the part that is teachable. The gross motor system is virtually not teachable in any quick way. So what we have to do is we have to talk to the part that's learnable, that, that can learn things, right, that's teachable, and that would be the fine motor system. So no, and, and, and in general, the gross motor system does not run the fine motor system. The big muscles don't run the hands and arms or the hands and forearms. Right. The big muscles do not. The big muscles react to and respond to whatever we want to do with our two hands. So the hands and forearms mm-hmm. run the big muscles. If I take, if I take a, um, a sledgehammer and I have a cinder block up by my left foot and I wanted to hit that cinder block with a sledgehammer, I swing the thing with my two hands forward and collide with that cinder block. And if you looked at what my hips and legs and knees do, they would look very much like a golf swing. Yes. They didn't cause they didn't cause my hands to do what they did. I caused my hands to go where I want them to go. In fact, if you look at the human brain, about about four, 35, 37 to 40% of our brain is allocated to our hands. The smartest thing on our body is our hands. There's more brain allocated to our hands than any other part of the body. So the smartest thing hmm. on our body is this, these two hands of ours, and they work through three dimensions. If you hold your hand out like you're shaking hands with someone, you drop your fingers down to the ground. That's called ulnar deviation. You raise your fingers up to the sky. That's called radial deviation. If you flex your palm in towards your belly, called palmar flexion. If you do the other way and go across so your, your palm is flexed way out away from you, that's called dorsiflexion. If you rotate your hand to the ground, that's pronation. If you rotate your palm to the sky, that's called supination. So there's six motions of the hand that cover all three axes of the universe. So these hands are brilliantly designed for us to do whatever we want to do through three dimensions. And the fourth dimension being time, so we can learn to do those things during a certain time frame. Okay, so the idea is these, these hands are not unreliable. And if you're right handed, for instance, or left-handed, whichever one, but if you're right-handed, as much as 85% of that 40% of your brain that's allocated to your hands is allocated to that hand. So as much as 30 Right, and that makes sense. Sure. Because yeah, that makes sense. Things, yeah, because you, you're not... Right. Absolutely, huh? You can right, feel Right, exactly. More refined. More refined. Right. And so we, yeah, we and teach people to pull, yeah. pull with the left, which is not your dominant hand, and leave your right hand out of it because it's unreliable. It's not unreliable. You just don't know what to do with the club face to hit the ball properly. And the one thing that's been missing from golf instruction, as I said, I've been learning this for 65 years, and I've been teaching it for 49 years, and I've been trying to get these right. people to answer me, and I couldn't get anybody to tell me. And what happens is, <laughs> When the when the club when the club face makes contact with the ball, it's a mystery to people in golf. They have no idea what it's supposed to do. Every other hitting tool, mm-hmm. if you take that sledgehammer, if you take a, a regular claw hammer and pound some nails with it, you know exactly how the hammerhead should hit the nail, don't you? Yep. You know precisely how you want to hit it. And so the idea here is that when you swing the golf club, most people that I see on the lesson team 
swing and hope because they really don't <laughs> know how to apply the club face correctly to the ball. Now, the, the, the two years I spent doing the uh, uh, in the R and D department as a uh, consultant for education, I was I had access to all the impacts of tour players of what they do with the club and got measurements right. and know how fast and what it does. A hundred percent of the tour players we measured de-loft every club eight degrees at a time. Hmm. A hundred. That's interesting. A hundred percent. Matter of fact, I remember uh, Steve Elkington with the driver was 7.8 and 7.9 degrees de-lofted with the top of the shaft lean forward. Ernie Els, 7 now, degrees de-lofted with the driver. And when we saw now, what is it we saw that – go ahead, go ahead, what, finish your thought. What, 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 when you have a golf club in your hand, the golf club with less loft hits the ball farther, doesn't it? Yes. So if you have if you take your club and you de-loft at eight degrees, you're going to hit it farther than if you hit it with the loft that's built into it with the handle even with it, aren't you? Right. Because it's got two clubs less loft on it. There's four degrees between irons. So if you take an eight iron, turn it into a six iron, that's the eight degree de-loft. And a hundred percent of the tour players, when we we check the measurements and I check it, I'd see. Eight degrees, eight degrees, eight degrees, eight degrees, eight degrees, seven degrees, eight degrees, nine degrees, nine degrees, eight degrees, eight degrees, eight degrees, eight degrees, eight degrees. It was that it was that consistently de-lofted with all their clubs. Now what happens, the only way to de-loft the club is to lean the shaft forward, isn't it? Yes. The only way to de-loft it is to have the shaft leaned forward. And that doesn't mean that when it's leaned forward, the face will be open. You can lean it forward and have the face looking at the target when you hit the ball, can't you? Right. It's just that most of the people I talk to on the lesson tee think if they get their hands forward, the face will still be open. And that the right way to square the club face is to have it catch up to the handle. That's the proper way. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah, that's what you hear more most. Yeah, that's what you hear most often. Sure. Absolutely. Square it up. Have it catch up to the handle right there. It makes so much intuitive sense. It happens to be incorrect. I don't know if you ever heard this, but did you know that magicians, we go see a magician, and we'll go to a show, and you and I will go in there, we'll sit there and watch this magician. He makes his living mm-hmm. based on the intuition of the audience. Right. Because we know how things work. We're grown up. We've seen everything in our life. We know how stuff works. So we watch him do these something. He holds something up and he does it. And he does something else and he does something else. And then the third, fourth thing he does, you go, wait a minute, wait a minute. That can't happen. I saw everything he did before that. And that's <laughs> our intuition leading us the wrong way. And the same thing happens in golf. Because what we're, our intuition tells us is the proper way to square the club is to have it catch up to the handle, isn't it? Well, that yes. would mean it yes. would have that's eight what... degrees. Right. That would have eight degrees more loft than what we saw with the tour players using the club. Not one, not one tour player did otherwise. They all had that eight-degree D-loft. Now, that's, you watch them hit the ball and you think, well, you know, that, that, I, I don't see them doing that. Of course you don't. That's why the magician makes his living, too. You can't see what he's doing. <laughs> and something happens that makes no sense. And it's, and it's kind of like watching a magic show when you go watch the tour players, isn't it? I mean, you think, how can the guy swing that smooth and easy and hit it that far? 
I don't see any speed. All he is is smooth. But his impact. Yeah, and a, and a great example. Go ahead. Right. And a, yeah, a great example is is somebody like an Ernie Els uh, or even a Freddie yep. Couples, you know, that swing Absolutely. that seem very effortless in their swing. Um, yes. You know, and there's obviously other examples where, you know, you might see a, a player that's uh, like a Nick Price that's a very quick and sort of jerky looking swing. But, um, right. you know, a, a lot of peop- people were baffled by, by players like uh, Ernie because his swing right. was, seemed so slow and methodical. But, and Freddie, exactly. because, and they, yet they bombed it a mile. So yes. explain really to the well. audience then, and I, I, know, I know you, yeah, and I know you don't have the visual component here, but explain. What are the amateurs doing different, and why are they doing it differently than what the pros are doing? Very good question, and here's, what it, here's the answer. All of the amateurs that I see, this is over 49 years of teaching and talking about golf to people outside the lesson tee, all of the people that I talk to that are amateur golfers believe that the, the way the club face is built to be used is it's supposed to slide under the ball slightly with the leading edge going down to where the south pole of the ball is. Right. To get it off to get it off the ground and up in the air. And that the only way to get that ball up in the air is to throw the club head faster than the handle so it goes under the south pole of the ball, the leading edge, right? Right. You see that right. picture all the time, folks flipping it underneath there. And they do the same thing mm-hmm. with the driver, thinking they gotta get it to catch up to the handle to be square and hit it up in the air and then (laughs) the interesting thing is (laughs) this is where this is where the idea of club head speed is just destroying people because if you're moving your hands at a certain speed forward with a club head with a club in your hands it seems reasonable to throw the club head to go faster than your hands in order to increase your club speed doesn't it sure reasonable yeah when the fact is when you do that, you have to slow the handle down for it to catch up. When we measured these things, people doing that, the club head speed was slower throwing the club head than leaving the club head behind the hands. And this is with the driver too, hitting it, hitting it with the hands ahead of past the ball and the club head behind and not having thrown the club head to try to catch up and pass the hands. It seems like a check swing almost with the shaft, with your handle of the bat out there. Right. Okay, and the barrel of the bat behind your hands at impact? Yep. Well, that's the powerful way to hit anything. And what it turns out to be, and this was a a surprise, but it turned out to be that when we had people try to throw the club head to get more speed than that, the club head was always slower, club head speed was slower when they threw the club head than if they led with their hands and the club head was following, was behind the hands at impact. Now, why can that hit it farther? There's two good reasons. Well, three good reasons. Number one, there's more club head speed when you do it. Number two, the loft on the club is de-lofted now, and you have less loft, so the ball will go farther with a less lofted club. Okay? If you, if yep. you throw the club head, you're adding loft at impact, and when you add loft, you hit the ball higher and shorter. So when we measured the tour players that we measured over there, we had uh, we found this um, seven to eight degree D loft with the driver. Now, there's a there's a there's a law of physics that says when when a when a ball is is thrown onto a hard surface or it hits a hard surface, 
the angle of deflection of the ball is equal to the angle of incidence, meaning if I throw a golf ball at 45 degrees onto a concrete, smooth concrete path, if I throw 45 degrees, it'll bounce up at 45 degrees on the other side. That's a law of physics. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. If If I take a golf club, let's say I take an eight iron, and I shoot a golf ball horizontally into the club face, Let's say I take a 45-degree club, okay? Let's say I take yep. a pitching wedge. Shoot a golf ball horizontally into it. The angle you're shooting it into the face at is 45 degrees down at the bottom there, isn't it? Between the, the angle, the, right. the straight line horizontally and the bottom of the club face, right? Right, exactly. Okay. It's going to bounce up 45 degrees to the top side. It doesn't bounce hmm. perpendicular to the loft plane in a golf club. It does not do that. So every golf ball, when you hit it, even with your hands ahead of it, the ball bounces off the club face higher than the loft is. We don't need to add loft. The nature of the physics of that impact is that the ball always bounces off a club face higher than the loft that you see. So I don't need to try to go Hmm. under it more because that club is going to bounce it up in the air higher than the loft with every club, including a fairway wood. Then a driver. The ball comes off higher off the club face on a driver than the loft is showing at that moment. Always will. So if you hit the ball slightly slightly above center of the the, uh, sweet spot, you're really going to get some height off that driver head. But even at that, it's always higher than the loft that you can see. And yet everyone that picks up a golf club that comes to see me, they figure they have to swing up with the driver to hit it up in the air because there's not much loft on the club. And that's making the assumption that the loft that's showing is how high the ball goes. And it's not. The ball goes higher than the loft that's showing when you hit it. Seems seems almost you know, it's impossible. And yet... The physics it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that. I was I've watched a video that you uh, produced, and, and it's on. Uh, the folks can mm-hmm. can find it on YouTube. And you talk mm-hmm. about, um, and I think this sort of amplifies what you're talking about uh, in respect to the golf ball, and, and where you actually do a demonstration with a nail. Uh, you've got two right. golf balls in, in the demonstration, and one has a nail uh, that right. goes through the golf ball. Explain a little bit about that drill and what you're trying to explain uh, to the folks that watch it. Because uh, it's very interesting. It's along the lines of what you're just talking about. Right, exactly. And the nail is something I came up with about, oh, 40 years ago. <laughs> it's, I figure if, if, if you're going to hit something, if you're going to take a nail, let's say it's a big one-foot-long nail, and you're going to drive it into a baseboard, and you have a, a sledgehammer to do it with, a sledgehammer, and try to hit it into the wall horizontally, would you swing under it and up? No. You swing horizontally into the into the nail, wouldn't you? Sure. If you had to hit the nail if you had to hit the nail fifteen degrees downhill into that because it was needed to be tilted down, you'd swing fifteen degrees downhill to drive it in and you wouldn't worry about what my shoulders doing, would you? You'd you'd drive the nail no, of course in the direction not. it was pointed. Right. You'd drive the nail the nail indicates the direction of the force, doesn't it? Yep. Exactly. So if you have a golf ball 
if you have a golf ball with a nail coming out of it and it's on a tee and it, the, the nail is horizontal, it wouldn't occur to you to swing the club head in a U shape down there at impact, would it? No, of you course would not. simply drive the nail. You drive the nail forward as far as you could drive it forward. Mm-hmm. And it's a horizontal right. application of force, isn't it? That horizontal right, exactly. application of force, you'd have to take. If you took a, a say a ten five driver, you'd have to lean that face forward, the handle forward, so the face wouldn't have much loft on it when it hit the nail, wouldn't you? Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it's you're going to be hitting down on it. Well, you'll be hitting with you'll be hitting with a lofted surface into a nail that you're trying to hit horizontally. There's going to be loft on that. What would that do to the nail? It would reach it up instead of driving it into the to the wall or the baseboard. So when you're hitting it with the with the what you feel like is the face de-lofted to zero degrees of loft, that would be the most efficient way to hit the nail horizontally into the baseboard, wouldn't it? Right. No, with exactly. That, with that driver? Okay. Now, if you're going to drive the nail downhill, and when we measured the tour guys, we found that they were universally 15 degrees downhill with all their uh, fairway clubs. 15 degrees downhill. Not two or three. 15 degrees is the difference between halfway between 3 o'clock and 2 o'clock on the clock face. Halfway up from 3 o'clock to 2 o'clock, if you took a line from that point in between the 2 and the 3 and drew, drew, drew it, to the center of the clock face, that's a 15-degree downhill angle. And that's what we was universal in the tour guys that we measured. So this downhill Why do you thing think, is simply the, Well, go ahead. What I was going to ask you is why do you think then that the industry as a whole – and, I mean, I, I don't want to – I'm not – you know, I certainly don't want for us to throw anybody under the bus or anything, but why do yeah. you think the, the industry spends so much time – teaching all of these different swing theories and, and swing mechanics that really are not beneficial to uh, a lot of the players out there. And I understand there's marketing issues in, involved in that, but, but we're really not teaching the right thing to our students, are we? No, and uh, we're not. And let me, let me make this, this is kind of a strange point. Uh, stay with me on this one. Okay. I never, I didn't tell you, sure. this, but, Back in 1963, I graduated from Penn State's School of Turfgrass Management and went out and worked as an assistant green superintendent because I had grown up on golf courses, not only playing golf, but working on the course and mowing and things. And I learned how to take all those mowers apart and grind them and do this, sharpen them and do all that stuff. My dad, was, mm-hmm. being the tool guy that he was, was very helpful, and my brother and I both. Now, my brother was the golf course superintendent at Canterbury Golf Club for 38 years, 39 years. You remember Canterbury in Cleveland? Yeah, Canterbury, sure one of the great old courses. Well, he was the superintendent there, superintendent there until he retired in 2009, and the, and the USGA Green section named him their man of the year, my brother Terry. So he was a great superintendent. But we grew up in that – I grew up in that, uh, in that sort of uh, uh, culture, if you will, of the – the, the, the turf guy and being able to make machines do what they're supposed to do and all that sort of thing. When you take the, uh, when you take the golf club and uh, you want to do something with it, if you understand what the mechanical advantage is, I'm going to, I'm going to run this by you with, this is about moment of inertia. So stay with me. 
Okay. You know, everyone everyone knows what inertia is pretty much. It's and the definition of inertia mm-hmm. is the ability of an object to resist an acceleration, right? It has an inertia. It wants to sit still. Yep. The heavier it is, the harder it is to get it started, isn't it? And also the right, harder exactly. it is to stop it. Right? Okay. Moment of mm-hmm. inertia concerning something on the end of a moment arm, and it's the <clears throat> Moment of inertia is defined as the ability of an object to resist angular acceleration. Now, a moment arm is any length object. And imagine a, a piece of rope one foot long that you're holding onto with your thumb and forefinger. Okay? Just hanging down, a one foot okay. piece of rope. Where you're holding it is the part that the rope goes around and makes a circle as a radius, doesn't it? Where you're holding on to it. Right. You could move the Right? Yep. Okay. Okay. So... The moment arm is any length object where one end is held and the other end is free to move around that point. That's a moment arm. So that piece of rope is a moment arm. It can be made out of any material, too. Steel, titanium, it doesn't matter. Graphite, could be anything. But as long as it's a, a moment arm where one end is held and the other end is free to move. If I take a one-pound ball, or let's say I take a 16-pound bowling ball, and I put it on the end of a one-foot rope, if I were to take another bowling ball and put it on the ground, it would be harder to get started than a one-pound ball sitting next to it, wouldn't it? Because sure. 16 pounds is harder yep. to start than the one-foot, than the one-pound ball, right? But down at the end of where right. I'm rolling it, if there's a cinder block down there, it's going to be harder to stop the 16-pound ball than it is the one-pound ball, isn't it? Yep, exactly. Okay. So if I take a one-foot piece of rope and I put a 16-pound bowling ball on it that's hanging there and I'm holding on to it, I have a cinder block sitting on the table here, and I swing it back. It's hard to get it started back. And then once I get it started moving and I stop my thumb and forefinger, the, the, the moment of inertia is what we're hitting that because it's moving through angular space around that with that moment arm, right, around my thumb and forefinger. Right. So mm-hmm. the way you calculate moment of inertia is you multiply the weight <clears throat> at the end, 16 pounds, times the length of the moment arm squared. Now, if I take 16 pounds and multiply that times 1 squared, 1 times 1 is 1. So I've got a 16-pound feet squared moment of inertia, okay? And you know how much damage yep. you can do with that 16-pound ball. If I take a 1-pound right. ball and put it on one 1-foot rope, I now have 1 pound times 1 squared or 1 pound-foot squared moment of inertia, right? Yep. One times 1 times 1. If I take the 1-pound ball and I put it on a 4-foot rope, and I swing it and swing it toward the cinder block. Now I've got one pound times four squared because I have to square the length. That's 16 pound feet squared moment of inertia. The one pound ball on the four foot rope is identical in moment of inertia to the 16 pound ball on a one foot rope. Imagine that. Hitting the cinder block would have exactly the same inertia. So the length of the hmm. moment arms that is a significant issue when you're hitting a golf ball because if you hit the ball with the handle forward, lean forward, and de-lofted those eight degrees, and you look down at your hands, your 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 left wrist is bowed forward and your right wrist is cupped. Is that fair to say? Yep. Okay. So that means that when you take the um, when you, you take that thing and, and hit the ball with your hands out in front of it where they should be, you're ending up with a 
a moment arm that goes from the club head up the shaft, up your left arm and to your shoulder and into your neck. It's about a seven foot long moment arm. Okay. So if I mm-hmm. had, just for the sake of math, if I had a one pound club head and a one pound club head times seven squared, I've got seven times seven, which is 49 pound feet squared moment of inertia. I have 49-pound head hitting that little 1.62-ounce golf ball. If I take – if I if I decide huh. that at any – I want to screw in the handle to get, quote, club head speed and hinge my wrist, I now have made the moment arm half the length because the top butt of the club is going backwards. And the moment arm starts at that hinge point in the grip where below that it's moving forward and above that it's moving backwards, okay? So now I have a three-and-a-half-foot yep. moment arm. No matter how fast I make it move, it's only three-and-a-half feet. So the moment of inertia in that circumstance would be 12-and-a-quarter pound feet instead of 49. So by throwing the club head, you shorten the moment arm in half. And because it's a square function, meaning it increases at the square of the length increase, it reduces at the square root of the decrease. So when you have that, you, you, you take it down to half the length, you don't get half the moment of inertia, you get one-fourth. So it goes from 49-pound head down to a 12-and-a-quarter-pound head. Hmm. So no matter how fast Let you me... think you can move the club head, moving it faster than the handle is taking it, shortening the, the moment arm dramatically. Let me ask you a question. Sure. No, you're right. Let me ask you a question, AJ, and 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 I want you to sort of put this in perspective. Okay. Um, you okay. talked about earlier about uh, gross gross motor skill development and and fine motor skill development. Yeah. And we often hear um, you know teaching professionals talking about you know engaging the big muscles um, sure. and and really having quiet hands. Right. What should be the sequence then with the two together? What should golfers be focusing on in order to capitalize on what you just talked about making both hands move as fast as possible past the ball with the two hands if you had to throw a baseball okay your your focus is on or uh, throw a football your focus is on your hands where you're going to throw it isn't it you don't sure you don't clear your hips to make your hand go faster in baseball do you no no. The idea is that all those gross motor skills that we think are causing this, once you know what the job that you're trying to do is, once you know what your task is, and you use your hands, you know ahead of time where your hands are going to be, your body supports that idea because you've grown up learning that, okay? And you don't have to ask mm-hmm. your gross motor skills to do anything, ever. They're on a ROM chip, read-only. Seriously, I mean that. Right. I cannot make it more clear in terms of uh, what we know about computers these days and our brain as a computer. That ROM chip is really the stuff that's on there, and it's on there, and it's on there, and you don't ever have to worry about thinking about how you did it because it's automatic. And if I want to drive the nail mm-hmm. into the baseboard, that would be a very different task than flipping the club under the ball and hitting it up in the air, wouldn't it? Right. If I'm trying yes. to flip the ball up into the air by making the club head go faster, my body will help me by leaning back with my head and shoulders to do that more. 
Mm-hmm. When I see people that are keeping yep. their head back when they hit the ball and trying to, quote, stay behind the ball, <laughs> it's, don't do it. Don't See, what happens is when you throw the club head faster than the hands, trying to make it catch up, club head catch up to the hands at impact, when you do that, yep. you keep your body back trying to help you accomplish what you're trying to do with your hands. So the body only knows how to help you do something. It doesn't know how to sabotage. If I want to use my hands to use the club correctly and drive the nail into the wall, slightly downhill or horizontally, my body wouldn't lean back, would it? No. This wouldn't do it. And so by understanding what the task of your hands is with the tool, is how we learn to use every other tool we ever learned in our lives to, to use. Somehow in golf, well, it's, <laughs> it's, it's what I kind of call, uh, I call that executive thinking. Now, here's what I mean. The, uh, you say, well, see, in golf, I'm, I'm an executive. See, I don't do the dirty, messy work of hitting the ball. What I do is, is I make the swing, and then if the, if the swing screws up and misses the ball, I blame the swing, not me. Right. So that's that's an executive way of looking at it, but I'm afraid it doesn't work that way. <laughs> this is dirty business of taking a tool and applying it to the ball correctly with your two hands. And when I say the thing that I find universally with my students that I see every day is that every single one of them thinks the club head should be going faster than their hands when they hit it. Is that fair to say? You, you know, that. you often – yeah, exactly. You, you've often heard, um, you know, even touring professionals will talk about the feeling that they have of pulling the handle down and right, then through right. impact. And obviously the, right. the club is, is going to follow. Um, you right. don't hear them saying, I'm trying to snap the club head as fast as I can. Right. They talk about right. pulling the handle down. Right. So where is everybody missing the boat then? Why are so many professional? I mean, you know, you've got tour players oh. that are going to great coaches. You've got you know, amateurs going to great coaches. Why are they getting this message mixed then? If the pros are able to understand it, why don't the rest of them understand it? Well, I, I don't know if the pros understand it um, academically. They understand it feel-wise. They understand that right. feel of where their hands are out ahead, and it's long. It's it's uh, it's it's got great leverage and impact, and the ball doesn't weigh anything. And they just feel that they've got to be out there somewhere doing it. They don't know exactly what their hands are doing. They just know they got to be ahead, right. and they do, and then they've done that a million times. And that, um, and, and it's interesting because uh, when when you stop the hands or slow the hands down and throw the club head, that's when you hit the ball fast. And then everyone <laughs> says, "Well, I was too steep, so I have to get more level." No, getting level was getting you in trouble. <laughs> you got to come downhill at it and be <laughs> steeper. But oh no, I'm too steep when I hit behind the ball. No, you hit behind the ball because you stop your hands and threw the club head. That's what causes it behind the ball. Then if you miss the ground, if you're up a little higher, then you top it when you do that same swing. So you either hit it fat or top it. You know, those aren't the two things you want. No, they, right. They, and, they, and yeah. you know, the other thing, yeah, the other thing, AJ, too, that you see a lot of uh, golfers is, uh, and, and obviously different from the, pro, uh, the professionals, is with amateurs you see a very poor weight shift um, from their sure. back foot Absolutely. to their front foot. And, and this is why you get the, obviously, I know you were, you know, the, the reverse pivots and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, you know, is obviously from, from not giving a good transfer. You know, one of the, the, the people that you always, oh, wait, um, I, yeah, I always remember watching growing up Jack Nicholas. And one of the things, and, and if right. you compared his swing against, you know, Rory McIlroy and that, 
But the one mistake um, or one thing that you never could mistake with Jack's swing is it was very evident, his weight shift. Yeah. But you see, right. the, the right. weight I shift mean, he, he is – listen to me. Listen to me. Let's go, back, let's go back to having the nail for a moment in the baseboard, okay? Sure. If I try mm-hmm. to throw the club head underneath and up at it, my body will stay back and won't shift the weight forward. Right. It knows how to do that. So when you have a golf club in someone's hand and they're trying to swing under and up, their body helps them do that. Their body's not doing the wrong thing. It's doing exactly what it's supposed to do to help them use their tool the way they want to use it. But if you, this is another thing we found with the tour players. 100% of these guys, the top of the club face, with every club in the bag, the top of the club face is going forward at a higher rate of speed during impact than the bottom of the club face. Mm-hmm. Now think about that a second, that picture. Top of the club face going forward at a higher rate of speed than the bottom of the club face. If you took a ping pong paddle and did that, that would be top spin, wouldn't it? Yes. Top right. of the club face, over the bottom. But, and these are measured numbers. Ted, these are measured numbers. This is the, the top of the club face is going forward at a higher rate of speed than the bottom of the club face during impact. And 100% of the people I see on the lesson tee believe that the fastest part of the club face should be the bottom edge, the leading edge, it going faster than the top. Is that fair to say? Right. That picture? Right. That's how, exactly how they think. Yeah, that's how they that's think. exactly the picture they have. Well, that turns out to be 180 degrees incorrect. Now, it doesn't get wronger than 180, does it? If you're 180 <laughs> degrees wrong on something, it doesn't get wronger than 180. No. <laughs> so what we have, what we have is someone trying to use a golf club in a reverse way from the way it's designed to be used. On that level alone, and do you see how using the bottom of the club face to go faster than the top of the club face seems to fit our intuition of getting club head speed, doesn't it? And 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 getting the ball up in the air off the ground. It takes care of both things, so I know I'm right. Make that bottom of the club go faster. That's the way it's supposed to be. And then you measure the tour players, and they're de-lofting at 8 degrees, and the top of the face is leaning forward at a higher rate of speed than the bottom's moving. What? Yeah. Now, I, I – now I know, yeah. Now I know you can't do this in just a few minutes, but can you explain for the list, <clears throat> the listeners out there? Excuse me, my my voice is going a little bit hoarse here. Um, what they need to be doing differently than what they're currently doing in order to um, absolutely complete absolutely. the task that you're take, you're offering. Take, what? Right. Take a pitching wedge. Go ahead. Go to the practice team. Take a pitching wedge. <clears throat> Put the ball on a tee about a quarter of an inch off the grass, off the turf, okay? Tee it up about a quarter of an inch, so you're mm-hmm. not going to deal with the turf at all. Take the pitching wedge and try to hit the pitching wedge as low as you can hit it with the middle of the face on the back of the ball. Now, use face tape to make sure you're hitting it where you got to hit it, on the face. Right. But try to hit right. the ball as low as you could hit it. If you had to hit the ball, <clears throat> I want the ball played in the middle to slightly forward of middle in the stance on doing this, not off the back foot. If okay. you had to hit that ball as low as you could hit it with that pitching wedge, where would your hands be at impact? Forward. Forward. 
that's not a that's not a difficult yep. thing to understand for, for my students. They understand if that's what I was trying to do, that's where my hands would be. But I don't want to do that. I want to get it under it and get it up in the air. No, you don't. That's the nature of the tool <laughs> that you have in your hand is that when you use it by trying to de-loft it, the ball goes high and far. And I get this statement a lot during when I have my students on the lesson team. I can't believe how high the ball goes. Yeah, I know. Because it feels like you're hitting it with no loft on it. Yeah. And the ball goes, and, it, and it's 30 yards farther than I've ever hit that, that club. Yes, high and far. Let me think. For a golf shot, high and far, that's a pretty good combination, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> high and far. High and far. I, I think, we'll, I, I think we'll might, lo- maybe, maybe I could work on that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. AJ, I think one of the problems that a lot of uh, golfers have in their mind is, is in order to be able to wrap their mind around this is I think that they, they feel that in order to be able to, to accomplish that, they've got to kind of lunge their whole body way forward, in or, especially if they're playing the ball up forward of center, that they've got to sure. sort of lunge to the left in order to accomplish that. And that's not the yep. case, head, correct? Head and sh- well, no, head and shoulders going forward. I've had people, not had a uh, sure. guy today, had a guy today that um, I had to get him to get his head and shoulders leaning into the shot when he was hitting it low. And he started hitting it really high and far. And when I took a video of him, he went, oh, my God, I thought I was really forward with my head and shoulders, and I'm just barely moving at all. I said, yeah, I know. But the feeling is that you're moving forward. And the head and shoulders have to be going forward into it. If you're gonna, if you're hitting a forehand topspin down the line passing shot with a tennis racket, you don't keep right. your head back, do you? And you make the racket no, hit the ball forward. where you want to go. Same thing with the golf club. Yeah. Let the head and shoulders lean into it. You remember, remember when Gary Player, Gary Player in 1959 came out on the tour because he had won the British Open mm-hmm. and he was he got status on the US <clears throat> yeah. tour, and he was like 35 right. yards short of everybody. He was, you know, he was the, the little guy, and he he went back to South Africa and he started working on his distance. And what <clears throat> he did was, when he came back, he had to step through, didn't he? Yeah, I remember that shots and swing. The reason he had it was yep. because he had his head and shoulders going forward instead of staying back with his head over his right foot when he first came over here. And all of a sudden, he's so short off the tee compared to these other guys, he gained his 35 or 40 yards back that he never had, but he got now because he was he was hitting it out there with those other guys. And it was his head and shoulders going forward as he was hitting it, and then he'd have to step forward to make sure he was okay after he hit it, didn't he? And it's interesting because he did yeah. it so consistently, didn't he? Yeah, he, he and, we, and we never. You know, it's interesting to. Yeah, it's interesting to watch Gary Player, and, and he's a great example of that. And and uh, obviously, you know, I watched uh, here recently the uh, the um, inductees at the World Golf Hall of Fame, and you know, he's still yeah. so passionate about this game. And you know, and he talked about, of course, Ian Woosnam, another player who obviously was never very tall, but you know, could bomb it a mile, um, but. These guys understand what needs to be done uh, in order to get the job done, and it's it's just amazing. Um, AG, I, let me, you let know, me make a point. I, I hate this. Let me, let me make yeah, go ahead about very quickly. Club, yeah, real quick. Yeah. Our job with the golf club is to provide the forward impetus to the ball, not the upward. Mm-hmm. We have only one job: provide the forward. Like if I'm driving that nail into the baseboard horizontally with the, the my driver. My job is to drive it forward, isn't it? Not underneath and up. Is that fair to say? Right. I mean, it's not right. a hard thing to understand that your job is to provide the forward 
thrust to the ball. It's a vector of, that goes horizontally through the ball, and a vector indicates the direction of the force, and the length of the vector indicates the magnitude of the force. So the longer vector through the ball stead straight horizontally is what our job is, and the loft on the club provides the vertical vector that helps it go up in the air, not us. That's not our job to hit it up. We have no responsibility for the upward right. They built that into the tool for us, and yet we didn't feel, feel that was good enough. We had to start adding our own upness to it, and that reduces the, the horizontal force vector and makes us hit it shorter. Wrong. That's, our job is to drive the ball forward all the time, and the loft on the club makes it go up. Right. And we that's you know, why you, you hear – right, and that's why you heard so many – of, of a lot of the older pros over the years talked about, you know, letting the tool do its job um, and, yep. and not us trying to, right. to force it. And, and that's right. You know, exactly. Right. Well, you know what, AJ, I hate to say this, but we're actually out of time. Um, I've enjoyed okay. this. It's been a great hour. Um, and it, it, uh, it's just been fantastic. And I want to thank you for doing what I'll you, tell you have what. been doing. Yes. Well, I, I appreciate that, and, and I want to have you back on. I hope you'll come back on again. Um, this is a great discussion. To. This is something that, um, uh, like I said, I, I've seen you in the past. Obviously, I've never met you personally, and one day I definitely mm-hmm. will make a point of that. But, um, you know, I've, I've watched the, uh, the infomercials. I'm familiar with, with your story, and uh, you, you definitely uh, have, have explained, uh, hopefully for the listeners, a little better understanding of what they need to be doing uh, differently than what they have been doing. And uh, for those of you that are just tuning in uh, right now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to this broadcast live, uh, I'll explain uh, after I let my guest go um, how you can tune in uh, and listen to the recorded version because you definitely don't want to miss this. But, AJ, um, thank you very much uh, for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's been a pleasure and an honor, and I definitely uh, would like you to come back, and we'll continue this discussion and maybe talk about some other things as well that, that maybe you're passionate about. But keep doing the great work that you've been doing all of these years, and thank you for being an inspiration to so many uh, great professionals and so many great uh, uh, players out there as well. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you so much, Ted. And I appreciate being on your show, and I appreciate what you've been doing on this show. And thank you. Thank you so much for bringing that out to all the golfers out there. Well, thank you. AJ, my friend, you have a great weekend uh, and Thanks, uh, much continued success. And, and I'll, I'll reach out to you, and we'll set something up for, for maybe in the new year. How's that? That sounds great. I'd love to do it. All right. Thank you, AJ. Thank you, Ted. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right. It was my very special guest, uh, AJ uh, Bonner, a great uh, golf professional, been in the business for for many, many years, Uh, been playing this great game for, as he said, for 65 years and teaching for 49, uh, soon to be 50. Um, just a, a, a very interesting, and I, I can't, uh, unfortunately, I don't have enough time to get in all of uh, some of the things that I learned uh, this evening, but, um, and I hope you did as well. But uh, for those of you that may be just tuning in a little bit late, uh, go to blogtalkradio.com, type in Golf Talk Live uh, up in the search key in a little bit. Just give it a few minutes here to compile as the recorded version becomes available. It may take, uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Um, just allow it to to compile, and, and you can listen to the recorded version. And for those of you that are tuning in live, I hope you enjoyed this segment. Uh, I've been wanting to have AJ on for uh, uh, quite some time now, and I was glad to have the opportunity this evening. Uh, a great professional, a great asset to this game, and uh, certainly some great bits of information uh, that you can get out of this. So um, on behalf of all of the uh, guests this evening, Bill Abrams and, of course, AJ Bonner, 
Uh, I want to thank each and every one of the listeners out there worldwide for faithfully tuning into Golf Talk Live each and every week. And it's really um, through your participation uh, and, and listening to this show that have really gives me a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment. Uh, I love having these guys on and, and gals on the show as well. Uh, some great, highly talented coaches, teach professionals, authors, and even entrepreneurs that have stopped by. And it's really through their participation and your listenership um, that have helped to make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. So thank you very much. Uh, a very quick thanks uh, to some of the sponsors and supporters of the show, uh, Mr. Jonathan Laird from South Coast Golf Guide. Go to southcoastgolfguide.com and uh, check out uh, some of the great things that he has featured in there. If you're interested in and maybe playing some golf here in the southeastern part of the United States, from Texas right over here uh, to northwest Florida and all states in between, uh, go to southcoastgolfguide.com and you can find out how you can get your hot little hands on a copy of the guide, or you can just check on uh, the on- online version and just uh, look at some of the great courses that are available here uh, should you be planning a trip. We hope you'll come down here and enjoy some of the great golf. Uh, thank you uh, as well to Meredith Kirk uh, from Meredith Kirk Golf. Uh, go to meredithkirk.com. It's a great LPGA teacher professional out in the Myrtle Beach area. Uh, please, uh, if you're out in that area, make sure you look her up. Uh, she'll be more than happy to help you with your game. Uh, also, uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherland, thank you very much for all of your continued support and helping spread the word. Nikki, of course, is a great golf professional himself and his lovely wife. Uh, Tiffany have been big supporters and fans of the show for uh, many years, and uh, it's really uh, I appreciate all of the help in spreading the word as well. Mr. Bernie Pinder, of course, uh, owner of Ontic Golf. Uh, if you go to onticgolf.com, you can see a great line of customized putters that, that Bernie has put together over the years, uh, and you can purchase them right online as well, and they're customized and custom-made just for you, so make sure you check that out at onticgolf.com. Uh, also, lastly, uh, Sean, uh, second to last, sorry, Sean Kelly, uh, owner of linkedgolfers.com, a great social media platform uh, taken on the backs of uh, his uh, large golf group, Linked Golfers, from the uh, social media uh, platform linkedin.com. Uh, he took that out onto his own social media platform at linkedgolfers.com. Make sure you check that out. Some great tips, uh, great uh, stories, and great information on that as well. And lastly, uh, Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions over in Ireland. Thank you for all of your continued support. Uh, uh, you've been, Peter, a, a great uh, friend and great supporter over the years of the show. Uh, Peter, of course, is a great teach professional. Uh, and also a custom club fitter as well. Uh, So thank you, Peter, uh, for all of your continued support. And on that note, uh, I will be here next week, of course, with another great episode. And this Tuesday uh, on the Women of Golf show, also on the uh, blogtalkradio.com network, uh, you can listen to Cindy Miller, of course, LPGA professional Cindy Miller and I talk with some of the great ladies in the golf business uh, every Tuesday morning on blogtalkradio.com from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So make sure you tune in for that as well. Uh, On that note, thank you, everybody. God bless. Have a great weekend, and I will see you next week right here on Golf Talk Live. Take care.